HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Hi, I'm Courtney, and I'm stepping in for Allie this week as the guest host of this episode of In the Sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Elon Nas. Chief Strategist at Tactical, the marketing company that helps brands scale through cross-channel strategies, creative storytelling, and smart media buying. I met Elon a few months ago, and I remember um, after we got off of our phone call, I was so thrilled. I feel like I learned so much in that phone call. I remember taking copious notes and immediately afterwards called up Ali, very excited about all of the things that I learned. Um, and I think the biggest takeaway from that conversation was there was a whole bunch of stuff that I did not know about SEO and beyond. Um, so welcome, Elon, to In the Sauce. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Um, really excited to have another conversation with you. I remember, like I said a moment ago, just being so thrilled and telling Ali immediately after our phone call, like, you have to have this guy on your podcast. Um, and then when she had the opportunity, um, she was actually out this week, but she was like, Courtney, you need to interview him. So I'm super jazzed. Um, I'd love to start off um, and hear a little bit more about your experience, a little bit about tactical, um, how you got to do what you're doing. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I can, uh, I guess I, I guess the story starts back at when I was, uh, I was actually a teenager because I was the kind of person who was a tinkerer. Like I would, you know, mess around with software and hardware and learn a lot about the computers and electronics. And right around the time I was 14, 15 years old, I had learned how to design websites. I was self-taught and that sort of bought me out of needing to get summer jobs. So I never really had a job as a kid because I just learned how to do this. I had this skill that I could market and 
sell to local businesses. I would charge a few thousand dollars to design a website for a web for a local business, and that would cover the summer, right? Um, I I went into I studied finance in school, uh, and that kind of went south in two thousand eight. Right. The uh, the career mm-hmm. prospects on Wall Street weren't so great at that time. Yep. And I remember uh, visiting a, a buddy's apartment. This was at, during college. Now, I visited a buddy's apartment uh, who I hadn't seen in a little while. He wanted to hang out. Uh, and he would actually go on to become the founder of Splash, which is that popular event marketing software. Mm-hmm. But at the time, uh, you know, he was just uh, just a college kid. And he got introduced me to this world of like, hey, did you know that you could start a blog and make money by posting ads on it, right? You could just run Google AdSense and, and you could make hundreds of blogs like this and rank them for these small keywords and these niche things and then and then make some make money that way, like in a passive way. And I was really intrigued by that. <laughs> and so I started learning more. I started getting into like, there's a whole community of people who, who do this kind of thing. And I actually became a bit of a black hat marketer. I was a bit of a spammer at the beginning. <laughs> What else are you going to do when you're, you know, you're 20 and you're, you're broke and you have no job prospects? Yeah, you're figuring things out. <laughs> figuring things out. That sort of hat worked out. I made a little bit of money, uh, not a ton, but I made a little bit, enough to survive. And then I had some friends started asking me questions just the same way, you know, you might. They, hey, how do you do this? How do I do that? How do I mm-hmm. improve traffic? And um, it occurred to me that I could make money consulting, right? If I were to take my skills and turn them more white hat, I could, I could do this kind of thing. And so that became what I was doing for, for six, six months or so. It was okay. I, you know, I had some consulting clients. I called, you know, I, I, I you know, I had to compete with every other consultant in the world, of course. Yep. Then I, um, I landed a, a, a job, uh, at a company called Fueled, which is a app development agency in Soho in New York. And these guys were building really cool apps for some of the most popular companies. They were a relatively small agency at the time. Um, and they asked me to come on board. They said, you know, You've learned a lot about SEO. We, we trust you. You, you. We want you to take a shot at being our in-house SEO guy. You can keep your little clients, but we want you to be our SEO person here. And so I took the job and I was able to help them rank for keywords like mobile app developer and iPhone app developer and Android app development and all these hundreds of different keywords. And their, their volume of leads went from like 80 a month to 400 a month. And the company went from making 2 million a year to making 12, 15 million a year. And it grew... The, the staff size doubled and the, the company really grew. And so I got some attention because of that, because the, when you're an app developer in the mid 2010s in New York city, you know, a lot of startups, right? You know, a lot of tech people. Yeah. Um, so a lot of folks started calling and, you know, started reaching out and saying like, who's this guy who does SEO for fuel? How does fuel do this? And that's when a, 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 a popular startup called artsy, I had spoken to them and they, you know, I'd gotten permission from my bosses and, and they uh, wanted me to come in and be their SEO consultant as well. They had just raised a series A and I got in there and I helped them triple their traffic in a few months and sextuple their, their conversion rates and things got really, you know, helped them build out a marketing team. And then sort of the floodgates sort of opened. I started getting calls left and right from different, different brands, different startups. Um, and I realized I have to start building something. I, this is my opportunity. It's my chance. Like I, you mm-hmm. know, you can all sort of, so I, through mutual friends, I, I, I uh, was able to convince somebody to leave a large agency and come work with me. He, his name is Derek, and, and he's a fantastic uh, operations person with a lot of big agency experience. And he helped build out our paid media side, so the Google ads. This is before Facebook ads was a thing. 
Facebook ads okay. a thing for another year. And he, but he also did introduce our Facebook ads department. We eventually grew and added content and expanded our, our SEO operations and added Amazon and became a sort of full service performance marketing firm. And now we're at 35 people, I think. Um, a lot of them distributed now because of the, the pandemic. We mm-hmm. ended up in our office, but we did have a great office for a little while with glass doors and meeting rooms and all night. Oh, fancy. <laughs> and, but we did, yeah, and, and I, I continue to, to handle our SEO clients right up until about two years ago. Uh, three okay. years ago, I was personally involved in those clients. I'm not anymore. Um, at this point, I think some of my staff might know better than I do about <laughs> this stuff. But, but yeah, that was, you know, when it comes to building out an agency, I think that getting a couple of big wins under your belt is all you really need after that. You have a reputation and referrals come in and people learn who you are and reputation precedes you sort of deal. And that makes life a lot easier for an agency. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a story. Uh, definitely, uh, interesting to hear how, um, like everywhere that you went, everybody that you met, you obviously you're learning a lot more, you're expanding your business. Um, so I, I feel like, and I'm sure you hear this from brands all the time throughout your career. Um, you know, he, you know, I, I run, I'm the director of brand here at Haven's Kitchen. So all of the marketing kind of falls under my umbrella. And there are dozens of marketing channels. There's so many things that we need to keep um, a pulse on that we have to prioritize, that we have to keep an eye on. And, you know, I... I feel like we're all, everybody in my position, we're all just trying to figure out um, how do we prioritize? What are um, the the best ways to really build our brand? Um, But we also, we know that like, there are so many things that we have to stay relevant on. Um, But of all of those things that are out there, how would you say, or like what, like three to five ways would you say um, you'd build um, our brand here at Haven's Kitchen on? That's a really good question. Um, so I'm not asking you to do my job. Just help <laughs> me out a little bit. <laughs> you know, it's it's important when I, I, I think I feel like I, a lot of people when they first start a company or they're in their early stages of growth when they've got their funding set up. They, they, they do get overwhelmed with the choices. And yeah. um, and, and with, even within a given channel, there's all these different ways to, to go about it. And so the best way to look at it is, is to consider what the nature of each individual channel is and then how it fits into your goals or what your needs are. So like, let's say you look at, for example, Facebook ads or Google ads, right? Google ads and Facebook ads are the fastest return. Like it's an immediate return. Like within that week, you're going to see results coming in, but it's also the least cost efficient long-term and mm-hmm. it's the hardest to scale, right? So yeah. it's kind of like if you need revenue today or you need to, to validate a product or you want to see if you can drive sales, that, like, that's how you would do it, right? It offers you a significant amount of control um, and you can control your budget and you know what the effect's going to be and, and all that. Then you've got sort of other channels like SEO or content marketing that are these slow burns, Right. Ultimately, if you do them correctly, they are the biggest possible payoff that you can get because they drive free traffic that exponentially grows. But it's not going to pay off today. It's going to take you months and months and months of work to get there. And so not everybody has that kind of a runway. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you have other other channels like email that are more supportive 
right? They kind of go hand in hand with the other channels that you can, you can build out, um, you can build out, you know, abandoned card funnels and stuff like that and, and content funnels for on your email list. So you, you can build a standalone or you could do it separately. And then you have the question of, in a lot of these channels, do you do it under your brand name or under a different brand name? Like, do you, do you build a standalone content operation that then promotes, you know, Haven's Kitchen or do you, does Haven's Kitchen lead the charge there? And then, then there's a, that's a legitimate conversation to have also. So in the case of like food, right, there's the obvious, you run ads and you can sell sauce, right? You can sell dressings and sauces that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but long term, getting in, getting rolling with the SEO and the content is going to pay off later. You look at a brand like Hims, for example, I think we spoke about that on our call. Hims and hers have done a phenomenal job with their content, right? They've relied heavily on just building a, a, a name people know without directly selling so hard all the time. And it's gotten to the point where people may just turn to that brand for whatever they're selling because they've learned to trust them. And that's something that's earned over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, some people don't have that kind of patience or that kind of time to build. So all of it is a priority at the same time, just they will reap the benefits, will reap the benefits at different rates. Yeah, I think, I think it's, <laughs> <laughs> you could, I mean, yeah, you can make the argument that all of it is, is, is a priority, but I think that it's about your own, it's about a particular, every particular brand's current status, right? If you are, if you just raised a bunch of money and there's a lot of expectation, to grow really quickly, then ads are the way to go, right? You need to pour it in there. Yeah. Um, but if you have, if you're, if you've got a long runway or if you've got time or you're looking, you know, two, two years down the road, then you want to start investing in SEO and you can start small. The good thing about all these channels is that you can start with different levels of investment. You don't need to pour a ton of money into SEO. You can start off with just like, okay, let's just learn a thing or two about keywords and start posting blog posts and start promoting ourselves and trying to get links back and, build it the long way. And then ultimately you'll see traffic start to creep up over time. And then when it begins to turn a little bit of a, of a profit, that's when you can reinvest that into a more aggressive strategy. Okay. So yeah. just, just to make sure I'm understanding, I, I do want to dive into SEO, but a little bit later. Um, so let's say I have, I have my channels, right? I'm, I'm investing in Facebook. I'm, I'm understanding SEO, a little bit better and I'm investing there for the long term. I'm supporting things with email. I'm building my brand trust. I'm doing all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. I have I have the channels in place. All of this is in motion. I heard you mention a little bit a few minutes ago that like Facebook ads, they're the most expensive. They're the hardest to scale. They're, you know, all of all of these things that are are tied to metrics. Um and I feel like that is the like the never ending battle in our world is like, all right, what is success? How do you define that? What metrics are we looking at? And so I feel like that's like the million dollar question is how do I, if I need to invest, how am I tracking everything that I'm investing in? Like, what are those key metrics to help me define success? Like I think of our brand for context, like we are first and foremost, a wholesale brand. We are lucky. And I say lucky enough because I know plenty of like D to C brands, um, that have to, that, that totally rely on, on, on social media ads. Um, they can, they don't have the luxury of turning them off if they get too expensive. Uh, you know, and I think about our brand, we are not in that position. Um, and 
I guess I'm, I feel like everybody, we just want to figure out is what are those metrics? How do we define success? It's a really good question also. So, you <laughs> really know, putting you on the spot here. <laughs> well, I mean, look, they, they, you, you, you know, you, you drive these, these, these metrics are all sort of stepwise towards the ultimate goal of growing the company. And when you're, when you're within, you, you're, you know, you're, you're made a point about this never ending battle and you you're not wrong. I mean, I think that in any startup scenario, this is the primary concern is like that classic formula. It's the long-term value of a customer versus the cost of acquisition, right? If you can keep that formula in balance where your long-term value was greater than your customer acquisition costs, then that's the main, that's the main concern, right? The question is how hard can I push the growth, but staying within that formula? Now, to keep that formula in balance it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to keep CAC down, although it does mean that in many cases. It doesn't have to, right? You can also just work on that long-term value. You can, you know, some, you know, people who, companies who don't have a subscription model can introduce one or introduce new products or introduce greater, more reason to buy more. Um, even something as simple as testing, raising the price could, could have an effect. Mm-hmm. The, the, the CAC model like we said, you're going to struggle always with Facebook and Google and trying to expand, but that's where organic search comes in. That's where SEO and content and email and community building and all these other kinds of things that we can do come in because those more organic word of mouth or natural nor natural discovery modes bring down your overall cap. And what's, what's a challenge sometimes with founders is, is trying to get them to view their company as, in a holistic way. They, they have a tendency to like, obsess over Facebook and say like, well, my, my Facebook CAC is this or that. And I'm like, you know, I, I understand that we have to optimize for that, but we also have to think about the overall CAC for the whole company. Yep. When you drive more Facebook ads, there is an overflow of people just searching your brand. There are people talking about your brand. There's a value there. Mm -hmm. So what is success to me? Success is building a company that is less and less reliant on Facebook and Google and these sorts of models are these sorts of channels over time, right? You mean you'll never walk away from them and you'll always spend a lot of money there, but as a proportion of your overall sales, like if Facebook went away, would your company still survive? Mm-hmm. And that's a real question. I think a lot of people are having trouble answering today because Facebook is struggling right now because of Apple. And, you know, I've, I've said this personally, to close friends is like Facebook <laughs> was right when they said that Apple's not going to hurt Facebook. They're going to hurt small businesses. And that's exactly what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Apple's behavior and this privacy kick that they're on, I can understand the morality of it, of course. But I think that people are under the impression that they're teaching Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg a lesson. They're not. Facebook's revenue is going to be just fine. And if you don't believe me, <laughs> wait till, their, wait till their, their numbers come out. Just, just wait. The numbers are going to be just fine. Because people are spending as much money as they used to on Facebook because they're desperate for more customers. What's happening is that the small businesses that were relying on Facebook ads to drive business are getting crushed. Their their cost of acquisitions are skyrocketing as much as 50%. And so the companies that are the most reliant on Facebook ads or social ads in general to be able to drive their businesses are the ones who are struggling the most right now. And so what is success? Is success is not being reliant on someone else's someone else's platform to be able to succeed, to be able to stand alone. That was like profound. Um, it's, it's really, and it's interesting to just hear you kind of like articulate all of that. I feel like, 
um, you know, when you said like the, a lot of founders have, um, they get focused, they, they hone in on that CAC on Facebook and, it, and, and it, it's, it's taken a while, even with Ali, it's taken like a minute to, to help her kind of like step back and look at the overall, um, when it, because that number sometimes is really scary. Um, but I think for us, when we kind of had that moment, um, it, it took us all like a minute to remember, like, we're not a D2C brand. We are not fully reliant. Um, we are first and foremost, a wholesale brand. Um, and in the grand scheme of things that that number is, um, it like amortizes across all of our channels a little bit more when we take, take a step back. Um, all right. So you mentioned a bunch of things like CAC, you mentioned iOS 14, you mentioned um, a couple of other things that I really want to dive into in a minute, but we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about all of those uh, fun things, including more analytics. Um, so BRB. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. Hi, I'm Courtney, stepping in for Allie today, and I'm back with Elon Nas from Tactical. All right. We talked about this before the break. SEO. It's all the haps. Search engine optimization. Um, what? Let's pretend for a second that I, you know, don't know what SEO is. Um, I think I know what it is. <laughs> don't ask me to explain it. Um, but I'd love for you to like break it down fifth grader style. What is SEO? What do we have to do with it? And why is it so important? Sure. Um, so SEO is, is one of the things we do here at Tactical Digital. And um, what it is, is it is the process of trying to get your website to appear more commonly in internet search results. Uh, Notably, Google would be the big one that we're talking about. But of course, Bing, and, and there are many others, but Google is the 100,000-pound gorilla in the room. Mm-hmm. So Google gets, I think the number now is about five and a half billion searches daily, every day. Wow. So five and a half billion searches done on Google. And these searches can range from someone looking to buy a product to someone looking for symptoms of something that's wrong with their body to someone trying to answer a question or settle a bet or get news or what have you. So there's all these searches that are going on and Google's algorithm, which is, I, I'm pretty sure I'm accurate when I make this statement. It is the most valuable piece of code that exists in today's world. Like in humanity has ever designed. It is the most valuable software ever designed because it's it, the, Google's entire business is built on it. And they're a, whatever they are, $900 billion company, whatever they are. 
So, so it is a trillion-dollar piece of software. This algorithm searches the entire internet for you and gives you results in order of what it thinks are the best results. And something like 98% of people will click something that is on the first page. And in fact, 60% of people will click the first result. So if you want your website to be found, you need to appear in those Google searches for appropriate keywords that match what you're trying to do so that you're, you know, you give people what they want. Um, and you also want to make sure you appear on the front page, the first page, and if possible, top of the first page. That would be your goal with SEO. Okay. That, that's kind of incredible um, how you framed it, that it's the most valuable software like piece of code ever created. And it makes so much sense. Um, everybody wants to be on the first page, but it, it's, there's so much information out there. How do you get on it? And it is with this code. Right. All right. So maybe you answered this question already. It, Google is like the leader in this with five and a half billion searches ish. Um, <laughs> a day. Um, would you say that that is the search engine that every brand should be investing in? Is there like, for somebody who doesn't know, how do I know what I'm investing in? I think Google owns something like 90% of the market. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say yes. It Well, the, okay. So let me, let me phrase, let me rephrase that. Technically speaking, Google owns a lot of the market because Google Images and YouTube are, con I'm considering them to be Google, even though they are actually unique search engines. So oh. you, could, you could make the argument that like YouTube and Google Images are their own. So that in that case, Google is only like 70%. But for the most part, Google is the dominant leader and they're obviously facing some, some uh, charges of monopolistic behavior because of it. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, you should be focusing pretty much 100% of your effort on, on understanding the Google algorithm and how this system decides who wins and who loses, why one website comes up at the top and another one doesn't, even though the, other, the second one or the, the ones that come in on page two or three could actually be qualitatively better. The reason that the number one comes up to number one, there's algorithmic reasons for it. The software is making decisions and you need to be able to create or edit your website in a manner that uh, that pleases the the, uh, the AI, if you, if, you will, if you will. Okay, so actually, can we take a step back for a second? Mm. Um, when we're talking about editing our SEO on our website, editing our website, optimizing it, what do, for people like me who we don't we don't understand what that means like where is this where are these keywords where are they physically like actually going what am i editing got it so actually not as complicated as you might think it's just that it's a lot so it's not complicated it's just it's just like the considerable amount so you're asking where would you actually put these keywords well these keywords would go literally on and all over the website, the titles, the headlines, inside the body of the of the articles, or or in the name of products. So, you know, for example, it's possible that uh, I don't know if your website has this because I haven't looked at it in the past past couple of weeks, but um, 
a lot of websites, for example, will forget to even describe their products well. So let's say you're selling socks, right? If you don't describe a pair of black socks as black socks, like will black socks, if you don't use that description in the in the copy on your website, Google has no way of knowing what you're selling, right? Google's not going to rank you for the term black will socks because it doesn't know you're selling black will socks because you didn't tell it. So people will find all sorts of places. They'll put it in the title of the page. And like I said, they'll, they'll, they'll get uh, as many reviews on their website, but mentioning it, they'll even put it in as the alt text on their images or they'll title their images that way. Um, I should note, as I say this, that there is such a thing as overdoing it. Like you don't want to just copy and paste the, the keyword a thousand times. It's not going to work. It should naturally fit into the website and Google's very good at spotting the difference. But the point is, is that you use you use your website's actual words and copy and design to give Google the impression of what you're about, and then Google can do a better job of categorizing you. Okay, that's super helpful. And I feel like I feel like when we spoke a few months ago, I remember I feel like I had to ask you that question because I I genuinely didn't know. And um, as we're talking, it just reminded me that like, I feel like more often than not, people don't actually know where this SEO is going, where these words are going. And it's so easy. Like when you have, when you're, when you have a lot happening and you need to swap out an image, it's so easy to just delete the image, upload a new one and kind of forget about it and forget about that SEO or like in our case, we're uploading recipes on a weekly basis. Um, you know, the Maddie, the, my colleague who, who does that on a weekly basis, it's, she's got a hundred other things that she's doing every other day. You know, it's, that's not what she specializes in. It's really easy to potentially gloss that over. Um, and I think this is just really helpful to know, um, like where the, where this is going in all of the places that it's needed. And it's also really helpful to know that you can overdo it. Cause I feel like that would be my gut instinct is yeah. like find the right five to 10 keywords and copy the paste out of that shit. No. Yeah. It's important. I think when you, when you're talking about trying to, to keep all this in mind, and like I said, it's a lot, you know, it's important to have a plan, right? Mm -hmm. so, so a good SEO agency or somebody who is, who you hire to do this for you, one of the things they should do is come up with a plan. They'll say, okay, your website has 100 pages. Here are a list of 200 keywords that we like, and we're going to try to associate different keywords with different pages so that we can optimize individual pages for individual keywords, right? And then what we're going to do is we're going to create more pages over time. We're going to create more blog posts and more, more landing pages and more product explanations. And over time, grow the websites, so but there's room for more and more and more keywords. So, so coming up with an organized plan and breaking down your website and saying, okay, I've got these pages available. What keywords can I put on which pages? Which ones make the most sense? Which ones are the most applicable? Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, right, it doesn't do anybody any good to rank a website for a keyword where the web it's inappropriate, right? If I sell white socks, what's the good of the use of ranking for black socks? Well, that's not going to help anybody. And mm -hmm. who's ultimately going to penalize you when it notices nobody's clicking on your, your option? So you're best off trying to associate keywords with the appropriate pages and then using other, you know, using software that, you know, I can get into um, to optimize those pages and then, and then do your best to, to promote them and grow them. Got it. And so, all right. So we have, I have a plan, right? Mm. I've identified the keywords. I am, I'm investing in the right platforms. Um, 
I have identified what those words are, where they need to go. And I'm working with a banging agency to, you know, help me figure all this shit out. How do I manage and track this data? How do I manage? And and, and if I have an agency, how do I manage and track to make sure that, you know, I'm optimizing and doing, they're optimizing and doing things the right way for the long term. Cause I think that's also an important question, not just how do I optimize the SEO um, management, the tracking that data, but if I'm working with an agency, how do I, how do I manage them? If I don't know what's happening. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, any decent agency should be sending you reports. They should be telling you what they've been doing week over week. Um, and you should be involved in the strategic conversations that are going on. Uh, and telling them what you expect and, and results that you want to see. In terms of tracking and analytics, um, obviously the traffic on your website is a big one. So how much traffic is coming to your website should be a big indicator. Uh, most folks will use rank tracking software, of which it is available everywhere. There's a thousand and one options. So there are softwares out there that you give those keywords to the software, you load them in. And the software will literally track day by day, week by week, where your website appears. Does your website appear for this search? Where does it appear? How low? How high? Is it moving? So there's plenty of software available. Some of it really cheap. Some of it free. Um, and so it's not a not a hard thing to do. So Google Google rank tracking is a relatively common concept that's been around for a long time. And that is separate from Google Analytics, right? Pardon my ignorance. Absolutely. So Google Google. Uh, as you will find, uh, Google is not a very good partner when it comes to SEO. The reason being is that they don't want you to successfully be able to manipulate their algorithm. They're not interested in that. They're interested in selling you ads. They would much rather you struggle and not know what to do, and they would much rather you just pay them to show to take your ad and put you to the top. So you'll note that in Google Analytics, they do not give you any keyword data. They actually used to. They just decided that they're not going to do that anymore. Oh, huh, okay. So they will not tell you what keywords you're ranking for. They will not tell you what keywords are driving your traffic. They will not tell you that what keywords are driving your sales. They, they will hide all that from you. There is another platform called the Google Search Console. It used to be called the Webmaster Tools. The Google Search Console is better. It's not like a hundred percent like clear exactly they don't they don't make the data a hundred percent clear but they do offer you some rank information there so there you can put in you know how often does my pay this particular page appear in search what general keywords does it normally appear for is it getting better how many impressions does it get they give you some vague numbers they don't give you specifics got it that's that's not helpful at all no it's not um, <laughs> that's why yeah. you gotta you gotta go for the rank tracking the third party yeah. rank tracking because you can make assumptions about things like if i rank number one for a keyword that that, that has ten thousand searches a month i think it's pretty safe to say i'm going to get at least two or three thousand clicks from that yeah yeah you yep, can yep. Make assumptions you know you can work the math okay that makes sense all right elon that's super helpful um what about tools can you talk to me a little bit about that yeah, so, so there's a lot of really solid software out there that is available for people to kind of do their own SEO. Um, some of it is designed to kind of analyze your website for you and just tell you what you've got to change and fix, where to add keywords and what problems you've got. Because remember, there's 
like something like 2000 individual data points that Google looks at, not just where your keywords are. They look at things like how fast your website loads, mm-hmm. how the navigation bar is set up, how, you know, does your website load on mobile, all this stuff. So, so there are, there are tools that are very popular for this. One is SEM rush. That's yes. SEMrush.com. Those guys just went public like a couple of weeks ago, I think. Really? Yeah. I think yeah. you had recommended SEM rush when, <laughs> um, I had, we had launched the website that I had built, <clears throat> which means that there was and is a lot of room for improvement. But I remember SEM Rush being actually relatively easy to use um, and yeah, super well, helpful with a lot of things like what you just mentioned. They have so many tools too. Like SEM Rush is not one tool. It's really an amalgamation of like two dozen tools. Mm-hmm. They do things like analyzing content, spying on your competitors, giving, you know, analyzing the website, you know, making recommendations, that kind of thing. Yeah. Another one that's very popular and very similar, although they have their own set of tools, um, is Ahrefs. I know it's it's impossible to pronounce. It's, it's <laughs> they, they named their company after that the code for a link, like you know Ahrefs at the beginning of a link code. Like if you ever did HTML, no, so a- I, I H- never did HTML. A H R E F S dot com. Ahrefs dot com. Let's spell that one more time for our listeners. A-H-H-R-E-F-S.com. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. I wouldn't even know how to. <laughs> if, if, you're a, if, you're, if you're a web developer or you're somebody who's messed with web code in the past, mm-hmm. you are very familiar with what that word is. It totally makes sense to you. Um, but I think that they were insane naming their company. <laughs> um, so these are, these guys are great. They, this is a, this is a great tool set as well. You don't necessarily need both as an agency. We have both mm-hmm. because we're an agency, yeah. but you really could go with either, or you could get free trials to both and pick which one you like. Um, both are fabulous. Both have certain strengths. Um, and it comes to keyword tools. These guys do have keyword tools. I like a tool made by uh, a dude named Neil Patel. Um, and it's called Uber Suggest. Uh, he bought this tool, I think, a year or two ago, and he improved it a lot. So he bought it from another owner. It was a popular tool then, and he's made it a lot better. It's very easy to use. It'll give you things like how big a search term is, how what kind of volume of searches it gets, how difficult is it to rank, how much competition there is. It'll be very valuable there. Awesome. Yeah, um, I actually remember, remember, you know, the... The A A Frifts, that second one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I but the SEM Rush and Neil Patel, I think I subscribe to both of their newsletters because of you. Um, Neil, yeah, Neil Patel's newsletter is great if yeah. you're new. It's great if you're new. And Neil Patel and uh and SEM Rush's uh uh, uh blog is better if you're a little bit more of an expert. Yeah, the Neil Patel, I feel like I understand what he says. You know, it's it, I, I actually, I get yeah, it. He's, he's writing in plain English for folks. Yeah, exactly. Thank we, you. We, we built our own newsletter to be as similar as possible in tone. Um, you know, we do, a, we do something different. We do a growth hacks newsletter. So every week we send out three, um, three little tips that you can use to improve sales or improve your ranking or improve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we try to make it as like, you know, as, as, uh, as what's the word I'm looking for? Um, layman as possible. Yep. Language, right. Got it. Got mm-hmm. it. And how would people, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this. So sorry, Allie, if I get in trouble. Um, but if somebody, if somebody wanted to subscribe to that newsletter, how, how would we do that? Oh, uh, it's just on the homepage of our website. 
uh, tactical.co. So D-A-K-T-I-C-A-L dot C-O. And halfway down the page, you'll see a sign-up form for the growth hacks. There's also, we also have a tactical digital Twitter. Uh, we'll also have those growth hacks posted. We've got like 10,000 people on it. So it's pretty decent. Oh, nice. Awesome. All right, cool. I will be signing up for that. I um, I subscribe to all the things where I could learn something. Um, <laughs> awesome. All right. So if we can move a little bit down into ads, I know we talked about it briefly, um, but I feel like this is, it's, everybody is so concerned with them. If they're, you know, these are platforms that people are on all the time. Facebook, Google, Google, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. I mean, I feel like I could go on for days of all of the places that, um, that, you know, you can run ads. Um, I'm just assuming, right. You want to, you, you want to be on the platforms that are most relevant to your brand, where your demographic is. So once you've identified those, um, those platforms, like how do you, how do you maximize your ads? Oh, that's a game of test and learn. <laughs> You, 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 you have to create ads and target certain folks. And if it doesn't work, you change your targeting. If that doesn't work, you change your ads Then you change your offer. Then you change your, you know, then you change the platform that you're advertising on. <laughs> right. If, if, if you tried everything possible on TikTok to make it work, TikTok's not for you. Right. That's not going to work right now. Maybe you can come back to it in a couple of years, but it's just not there for you. So, so you have to consider not just where your demographic is, but you also really have to consider the nature of the platform. Like mm-hmm. Pinterest is a place that people go to for inspiration. So that's a perfectly great place to advertise home goods, home interior decorating, you know, fashion, accessories, stuff like that. Um, maybe it's not the best place to, you know, advertise medicine. Mm-hmm. Right. If you have some sort of a product that's like a supplement, it may not do that well on Pinterest. Not saying it will or won't. I'm just saying it may not because of the nature. It's not the demographic. It's the nature of the use case of the product. Yep. One of the reasons that Facebook and Instagram are very successful besides their amazing data or what used to be an amazing data set and a very large user base was just the general, the general behavior of folks that are on the platform is that they just seem to be open to shop, right? Instagram was a great place to sell beautiful products because you went to Instagram to look at beautiful things. Mm-hmm. So it just it kind of fit. Right. Whereas TikTok, things that tend to work on TikTok are life hacks, little, you know, little knowledge boosts in a, in a 30 second clip or a 15 second clip. You just have to make sure you're matching the nature of the platform that you're on. OK, so match the nature that I think is um, really uh, a great way to put it. Um, so is there and this I feel like I know the answer to this question. I'm already rolling my eyes at myself, but you know, let's say I am new to Facebook or I'm new to the TikTok um, and I'm going to start running ads. How, as a marketer, how do I, if, if I'm going on pure, like really to test and learn, is there a way for me to like prepare my founder to potentially lose money while we're testing and learning? Is there a way to figure out how much money I need to invest? Ooh, I'm, you know, I'm not sure <laughs> that I can, I can give you an answer to that because I think that a lot of, for a lot of us, when we give that answer, it's just based on experience. Mm-hmm. I would say like $10,000 is enough money to prove that you, you can't make it work. 
And the reason I say 10,000 is because it's not, it's not a time thing. It's a money thing. It's the volume of data. But $10,000 allows you to test a couple different ideas before you run out. Because just because your first ad failed or your first campaign failed, it usually doesn't mean anything. Because you could just be mistargeting or you made a mistake or you didn't, you didn't do the right ad and you got to experiment. So in order to alleviate any arguments about like, well, if we only just did it like this, it would have worked out. I tend to say 10, if you're a larger company, 20, give it a minute, give it a couple of weeks, run it, change it, experiment, see the results you get, give it time to sort of begin to percolate. Um, because on average, people have to see an ad a few times before they actually make a purchase decision. And uh, ultimately, you will get your answer about whether or not a platform is going to work out for you, as long as you, you know, don't make any mistakes in the in the targeting or anything like that. Okay. So... I feel like there are a different way, a couple of different ways to measure the success of digital ads, right? Of course. Can you just give me like a quick overview, high level of what that means and what that looks like? Well, you know, for most folks, they'll say my goal is to sell more or something. And I think that's fair. I think that's, that's, that's a, that's a reasonable thing for most businesses to want. Um, but there's also other forms of success, right? If you get a lot of engagement, a lot of interaction, a lot of people clicking through, um, a lot of people viewing and learning about your brand, if you see brand lift going up, those are those are positives too. Maybe it's not worth it. Maybe it doesn't pay off. I'm sorry, when you say brand lift, where am I looking at the for brand lift? Oh, you you um, the Facebook won't have that for you. You can do a brand lift study where Facebook will do this with you if you if you're if you have an agency that's got a relationship there they will they will survey people so it's basically surveying people like if you survey enough people in a given area you you know you ask them have you ever heard of this brand and they'll you know people will say you know or yes and they'll oh yeah i've gotten some of those sponsored like those little surveys yeah, yeah. so so that'll that'll do i mean as long as people are learning who you are and you're getting traffic or you're getting phone calls they, you know just sales isn't the only metric now yep very, very easy to convince yourself that all these other metrics are meaningful and to spend money on it. But truth be told, these are direct response channels. These are channels that are designed to get you sales. That's what they're supposed to do. So keep your eye on the ball there um, as a marketer, whoever's listening, keep your eye on the ball and don't allow vanity metrics that are not revenue and growth to change you away from realizing the truth about a certain channel. Ooh, that's deep. That's deep. <laughs> I feel like there are so many ways to just take the data in those metrics and like you said, kind of like tell a story the way you want to hear it. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is really good to keep in mind. Um, I think one of the really great things about working with Allie is that she's so supportive of um, really making sure that we're tapping into our resources and having conversations and having other people outside of our organization um, kind of weigh in on things. And I think that that has been super helpful when we're looking at that sort of information to not have the tunnel vision and not get um, too caught up in that, um, in, in some of those uh, more uh, harder to decipher metrics. Um so really, I really love to hear that. Um, all right. So we mentioned, you mentioned this a little bit earlier. Um, CAC, what, what, what is that? 
what cost of acquisition for what a is, new What does that mean? Cost of acquisition for a new customer. Okay. How do I find, how do I figure out my CAC? Uh, you divide uh, how much money you've spent in a given time period and divide that by the number of new customers that you've acquired. And that would be your CAC. And for, for everybody out there listening, is this for each, can we do this by each channel? And then we would have to look at it overall, right? To understand like the true CAC across the company. Correct. So an individual channel can have a CAC and a company can have a CAC. Okay. And those numbers are rarely the same. Yep. All right. Um, so you mentioned earlier iOS. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Because I remember when the iOS 14 thing happened, I remember just sending and receiving emails to everybody I knew, like, what is happening? What is going on? Can we can we dive into that a little bit about like what happened there? Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> it's not it's not good. Uh, it's bad news for everybody. Uh, so Apple um, uh, call it a marketing tactic, call it true values, call it Tim Cook on a power trip, whatever you want to say. Um, Apple has decided that they were going to deploy in their new update of their iPhone software, which most people add, um, they were gonna deploy um, some adjustments that basically block and prevent a company from, from being able to track your behavior on your phone. But isn't that a good thing as well, a consumer? Well, it depends. Um, I, you know, I'm biased and I think that you being tracked on your phone for the sake of advertising is not dangerous because it's really anonymized. Facebook doesn't really care individually what you're doing. They care about overall trends. And also the, the, this, this sort of tracking and, and, and targeted advertising is what gives us all these free products, right? All, all the stuff that we love using, these social media tools, these apps, these games. I mean, think about the amount of free software and really advanced software that we get to have, Google included, right? Google is one of the most important inventions besides being valuable. It's an important tool. How would you ever find anything on the internet if it wasn't for Google? Mm -hmm. And that's a billion dollar product that they maintain and give to you for free. So I, I'm of the argument that the internet ecosystem is built on a ad model that is currently working, right? That we are all getting wonderful things for free or cheap. And it's partially because they're able to serve us really targeted ads. And the other side of the coin is that when they take that away, it's not like the ads went away. The ads just get worse. Like the ads become less relevant to you. And mm -hmm. now it's just annoying. It's like, it's like commercials that you don't enjoy. Mm -hmm. It's the commercials that you do enjoy, right? But I understand people are a little creeped out because Facebook's tracking of us reached a level that I don't think stalkers would approve of. <laughs> they knew where we were going, who we were talking to, what we were looking at, you know, what room in the house we were in, who is our, in our phone book, what photos we were taking, where we were taking them, of whom we were taking them. They knew all, they knew so much more. One of my favorite one of my favorite things I heard about Facebook, like in terms of like 
all these different metrics that they track. One of them was, was uh, I think it was, how, did I, how was it? It was uh, people who pretend to use their phone awkwardly at parties. <laughs> that was like an actual category. And they would do this because they would see all these phones together in a room and then they would see you opening and closing Facebook repeatedly. Huh. Say, oh, that person's awkward and they're not talking to anybody at a party. Oh right. So, so th- this is the level of, tra- and so I understand, I understand that people are uncomfortable. Facebook really went over the line, mm-hmm. but their ability to accurately give you ads for something you like is uncanny. Like I'm, I've got a bit of a gut. I'm a tall guy. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I really like t-shirts and shirts that are long that like they kind of dip below the butt a little like they're not like most of my t-shirts are too short on me like my belly will pop out okay large sizes so i needed long slim facebook figured out that that's the kind of thing i like it's called a drop cut and now i only get ads for drop cut polyester cotton blend t-shirt brands i get literally that (laughs) because that's that's what you like that's how that's how exact they've gotten with how uh, how i like my shirts they even know what colors i like Mm -hmm. yeah it's creepy but they also give me the ads I want. And the, the advertisers don't waste any money showing ads to people who wouldn't buy that. Yep. And so what's happened is that as Apple's cut all that data off, Facebook has become a little blind and they don't really know what you're shopping for. They don't know what you like. They don't know what you want. And what's happened is, is that these costs of these ads are getting higher and higher and higher for these small businesses that are trying to run ads mm-hmm. because their advertising is less, less well-targeted, which means that they have to waste money on ads that are on audiences that don't matter. And that leads ultimately to a higher cost of acquisition for everybody involved. Oof. That, that was a bummer. I remember when all of that was happening, everybody that I spoke to were, they were just freaking out. Um, it really, it really, hurt a lot of small businesses that I know. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, I, I am not a fan of it because I think that Apple's, the, the thing that a lot of people who were supportive of it were really excited by, they were like, oh, well, we're going to teach Facebook a lesson. Yeah. Facebook's not losing a dollar. Uh, Facebook, people are spending money on Facebook as much as they were before. It's just that the people who are taking the loss of the small businesses, mm-hmm. right, they're getting hurt uh, yep. because they're the ones who, for whom the ads are not working, but they can't not run the ads. So Facebook is yeah. not going to take the hit. It's going to be somebody else. And ultimately, Facebook's going to solve this problem anyway. Mm-hmm. They're probably the smartest group of people on uh, in Silicon Valley. <laughs> I personally believe that Mark Zuckerberg is the smartest CEO of all of, like, in terms of just raw computer engineering intelligence, he's mm-hmm. the smartest person in the room um, among all the big five. So, Oh, I'm, I'm, that's something I probably, I don't, I couldn't even talk to you about because I'm so not versed in this space. <laughs> I'm, I could barely spell SEO a couple of weeks before I had met you. Um, so there's that. Um, all right. So most of us know that you can use these uh, Facebook and social media ads um, as part of like the top of funnel strategy, creating awareness you know, funneling people down to drive revenue and sales. Um, and I think, you know, that the whole, you know, quote unquote funnel um, 
you know, it's everybody's trying to figure out what they're right. What it, what it means, what it looks like for them. Um, so I'd love to hear how you think about that funnel um, and how you would break it all down. Which I'm, I'm sorry. I want to, I want to clarify that question. When you say yeah, that, yeah. Funnel, which funnel are you referring to? Um, like, um, like the, the marketing funnel when, you oh, know, okay. you're the general yeah. marketing funnel. Yeah. The general marketing funnel. Sure. <laughs> Cause you know, just like anything else, there's like, you could have specific funnels or many funnels or a few funnels or. Oh, okay. Funnels. All right. Talk to me about all the, like, talk to me about the different kinds well, so of every channel. Every channel could have its own funnel, right? Every channel yes. could have a different, you know, the funnel is a, is a sort of a crass way of describing what most people would call the user journey, Right. So if you were to put your shoes, put yourself in the shoes of a, of a customer, a potential customer who's discovering you for the first time, you know, what is, what is, what is their first impression? What is their second impression? Well, you know, how do you talk to them? How do they feel about you? What are they seeing? You know, what do you, show? so like I'll, you know, some brands have a very sort of, you know, cozy relationship with their customers. That's very informal. They'll deliberately make jokes in their emails some people will be very super formal, super professional. Um, it's all about that. It's part of that brand discovery, right? So, so you have to consider someone coming in and the funnel starts off at discovery, right? They've never heard of you before and they've heard of you for the first time. It's usually an ad or something else. Then they, maybe they visit the website and they, you know, they, they think, oh, it's kind of intriguing, but then they leave and you retarget them, which again is now limited because of iOS 14, but still... You bring them back, you give them some more information. Maybe they sign up for your emails. Then you're going to start sending them emails every week, talking to them about the product, talking about the benefits. And then they ultimately make a decision. They make a purchase decision. And if they buy from you, the next step beyond that is to get them to stay with you and be loyal based on that unboxing experience. How did they receive the service or the, or the product that you were offering? Do they refer you to friends? Are they loyal to you? And that drives up LTV, of course, mm-hmm. as we spoke about. So, so that's all the funnel. The funnel is like that journey, that experience going from I've never heard of this company before to raving to my friends about how wonderful they are. Yep. So, so the funnel, you can optimize every step of the way, right? Every step of the way has its own metrics, has its own you know, information, has its own audiences, that kind of stuff. So that, that really adds up. Got it. So what is um, a couple of last um, actually I'm realizing now that we're, we're just about over time. I feel like you and I could talk to you, um, f- forever. Um, I'd love oh, to get, thank you. <laughs> seriously, I could, I could, like I could talk for, I could talk forever too. <laughs> I just feel like, you know, I was looking at the notes from our conversation again. I don't even know how long ago it was. And, and I'm in this conversation with you now, a lot of these things we've already talked about, but I'm like learning new things as we're talking about them. Different things are coming to mind. And my notes here, I have like, you know, both sides of the pages full of notes. Um, Just so, so wonderful um, to be chatting with you. Uh, I would love any little last bit of advice that you could give emerging brands. A little bit of last advice I could give emerging brands is... um... Don't fuck it up. (laughs) <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's honestly, I think it's take it slow. Um, some people, they, they, I, I've had far too many calls with clients who are like, I want to spend a half, half a million dollars in the first month. No, you don't. No, you don't. You want to, you want to test, you want to learn, you want to iterate. 
And don't be surprised if the market rejects your product and you have to go back to the drawing board. You got to change something. Because if you can't find that product market fit, then something's wrong. And I would say this, if the marketing isn't easy, if it's really, really hard, something's wrong. Marketing shouldn't be actually that hard. If stuff is popular, it should, it should flow. It should work. People should be buying. People should be reaching out to you. Um, you, you can't always blame your website or the ads. Sometimes mm-hmm. people just don't want what you're selling as much as you thought they did. And maybe you got to go back and adjust it or tweak it or change the price or add a new version or something like that. Um, I had a, a boss once, I think it was at Fueled, who said, marketing is the tax you pay on a shitty product. Right. The worse your the worse your product is, the more marketing it needs to work. Uh-huh. The better your product is, the more popular it is. You don't need any marketing. Tesla, for example, does not have a marketing budget. They don't spend a dime. Not a single red cent is spent on ads. Wow. Because they believe in their product that much. So, mm-hmm. just, you know, just yeah. keep that in mind. Yeah, and I think that. Like taking it slow and like not being surprised um, when things aren't like super successful right off the bat. I think we've definitely learned that, um, you know, the hard way when we started, you know, uh, Facebook ads or, you know, investing in SEM and whatnot. It took us it took us a minute to figure it out and um, constantly like readjusting our expectations while staying realistic and and that test and learn that you that, you know, we were talking about. Um, I think that that is really great advice is to take it slow. Um, I mean, I feel like everything we talked about, you know, was just jam packed with a ton of advice. Um, and this has been so wonderful, Elon. Thank you again so much. A wealth of knowledge, always a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, thank you, Armin, for engineering the show today and everybody listening. Thank you so much. Ali will be back next week with another episode of In The Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.